Welcome to Real Estate Hackers, where you'll hear how real estate investors grew something from nothing. Property management is going to become more tech. Our entire business today is based off of a hack. What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? With YouTube, with podcasts, you can catch up very quickly to a seasoned investor. Now here's your real estate hacker host, Chad Gallagher. Welcome to Real Estate Hackers. This is the inaugural launch of the podcast. I am pumped. First ever podcast show of the Real Estate Hackers Podcast. I'm Chad Gallagher, the host of the Real Estate Hackers Podcast. We are here essentially just uncovering amazing stories of hackers that are building something from nothing in real estate. Uh, super pumped about the people we're going to talk to and very excited that our first guest today, a real estate hacker himself, Matt Faircloth, in the studio live in the Trenton Hive today. Ooh. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, man. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be your first guest. That I'll ever had. I will always have that as the yeah. show goes viral and lots of people listen. That's right. I can say, well, I was the first guest. Yeah. So I want to just, you know, a few notes of who Matt is for anyone who hasn't met Matt before. Uh, done over 45 million in real estate transactions. Is that a is that a Involving remember. involving private money. Uh, mostly we mostly do stuff with private money. But yeah, forty five fifty million all in. Yeah. So over forty five fifty million in in private money transactions across four states now. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrote the book for Bigger Pockets, raising private equity, raising private capital, raising as well. private capital. Yeah. Uh, the owner of the Trenton Hive, which is a co working space that we're actually doing this podcast from today mm-hmm. in Trenton. Uh, thanks for joining, man. You're welcome, man. Thank you for having me. And for being a great friend and uh, partner along the journey for us. So, oh, you. All right. So let's see. I, what I want to start here today is, you know, so we're calling the podcast Real Estate Hackers. And part of that is all about, you know, building something from nothing. And I, I want you to go back to your first ever deal that you ever did in real estate. How, mm. How'd you do it? How did you, it, how'd well, you get, you know, you, you had never done a transaction before. How did you make that first deal happen? Yeah, so it's before they called it this, but it was what they call a house hack. So it's so perfectly in line with the name of your show. Yeah, it was, yeah but it was a, it was a, a single-family home that I lived in. It was a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath, um, and uh, I bought it for 150 k um, And my mortgage payment was 940 bucks a month, and I rented it out to two buddies of mine uh, for $500 a month apiece. So I was living there for free, 26, 27 years old, something like that. And um, so your the, buddies are basically renting a rooms, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're renting out rooms for me. Um, I was living there for free and um, was making 60 bucks a month too on top of it. So um, that was my first real estate deal. Bought like a Fannie Mae, you know, FHA 30 or 3% down mortgage. And, yeah. Um, did someone give yeah. you that idea or how did you, how'd that come to be? Um... No, my my wife got me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, okay. but she was my, my my girlfriend at the time. Now wife got me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad, um, and so I did. So that book gave me the idea, and um, we were renting a house in, in a little town called Maniunk, which is just like on the edge of Philadelphia. It's in Philadelphia, but it's like a, like a part of Philly called Maniunk. We were renting a house there, and our we wanted to stay there. We were loving renting there, but my because you know. At 26, it's you know it's near all the bars and you know right. it's it's uh it, it's things you want when you're 26, <laughs> right? Um, and everything. So our landlord put the house up for sale, 
and we had to move. And so I thought about buying the house, but I'm like, ah, if I'm going to buy a house, I'd kind of like to have a few amenities the house didn't have, didn't have central air, you know, just didn't have a few things I wanted to have. Okay. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to shop around a little bit. It was actually, they, they were going to sell it at the price point that I could afford, which is around 150,000. Um, but just the, you know, that conversation got me open to the possibility of buying a home. And I just kind of moved down that 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 inspiration with it and that's ended awesome. up ended up just outside of philly in a little town called concha that's awesome try and spell that i can't you can't i can't either <laughs> uh i love that so you you know it's interesting it's like how do you get started in real estate i mean you essentially your landlord was selling your house so you had nowhere yeah. to live and your girlfriend was kind of like hey maybe you should like look at other ways of making money. Yeah, read this book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I mean, she was you know, self-serving because she wanted to have an alternative lifestyle and wanted to live um, the life of an entrepreneur and all that and wanted a life partner that was in line with that too. So very quickly after we'd been dating, she got me to read it because I think she wanted to make sure that I was in tune with it because my wife um, probably would not have married someone who was not in tune with the uh, the, a lot of the principles that are in that book. Yeah. And so I think she wanted to make sure I was on board and I got even more on board than she ever could have imagined. I mean, it, it absolutely transformed my life. Yeah. Um, that book. So how so. did that, do you still own that house today? Or no, just... no, I sold it. Okay. Yeah. So you um, let them pay your rent for a while and then you, you moved on and, and sold so it. So I, it got squirrely. Like I rented out my, I, when Liz and I got married, I rented out my bedroom. And so I had, my bedroom leased and then two other people living in other bedrooms. But what, the way that it worked out was it was okay when I was living there because the person in bedroom one didn't know the person in bedroom two. And so I came in and then somebody else came and took bedroom three, my room. And so you got three people that didn't know each other. Not legal, probably. But no, I, I think it was. It's just a roommate situation, right? Okay. Um, and there was a website back in the day. I doubt they might be around, not around, um, but uh, roommates.com okay. uh, and roomiematch.com is another okay. one where you can put on the site like roommates that you're looking for, you know? And it's like, well, I have a pad or I smoke or I get up early or I get up late or whatever, right? Um, and so we would, I would match roommate profiles for, for people. And so I kind of did like a matchmaker thing. Um, from afar after I moved out. It ended up not working out. I mean, just the people, there was like spats between roommates that they would want me to solve for them and everything like that. It was okay. awful. So we sold the house about a year after I moved out. Okay. So uh, it worked out real nice when I was there, but not when I wasn't. That's awesome. Okay, so you sold that. Did yes. that then lead to your next deal? So <clears throat> not that property, but while my wife and I were still dating, while we were boyfriend and girlfriend, we ended up buying a duplex in um, in a, a town called East Falls, which is another part of Philadelphia. So we bought a duplex. We found that one by just calling for rent ads. We would just call for rent ads and just one after another, hey, we see you have it listed for rent. Do you have any interest in selling? We see you have it listed for rent. Do you have any oh, interest wow. in selling? Just down awesome. the line. We must have made like 50 phone calls um, to people, uh, which a friend of mine told me he made 4,000 phone calls before he got his first deal. But oh. um, but I uh, we only made like 50 or so. And um, we finally found somebody who was open to sell for a good number. So we bought that duplex, took out a borrowed 50 grand from my future father-in-law, my wife's um, my girlfriend's father, okay. all before we got married. I do not recommend to your listeners that they go and buy <laughs> real estate with their girlfriend and borrow money from their girlfriend. You gotta do dad. what you gotta do. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I think it showed my commitment to his daughter right. uh, that I was willing to do all that, right? So, so he we, gave you like a private loan? Basically? He loaned us 50 grand. Yeah. Uh, no, okay. 30 grand on a, uh, on, on a private loan. And we bought that duplex, um, and, and that, and, um, and ended up, uh, 
you know, and ended up closing on it immediately had to evict one of the tenants. Um, you know, I mean, tenant was like literally insane, threatening my life and all that. So we, we cut our teeth hard, uh, right but you, into the but game. But you put no money into the deal. That's right. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So then we sold that pro we sold that duplex and then, uh, did, did something called a 1031 exchange okay. into a, a pair of four families. And just to pause real quick. So for anyone that's never heard the term, 1031 exchange is typically when you, you exchange like for like property. Yep. So in this case, it's it's a duplex exchange into some other kind of real estate and you do it within about 90 days of the transaction. So you don't pay any uh, tax on the sale, capital gains tax, and said that's deferred. Uh, and you can, you can actually use your gain to purchase a new property without paying capital gains. You can sell rental property without paying tax on right, it. So, right. um, so we sold out on a duplex and bought a pair of four families up in um, Ewing, which is a lot closer where I, to where I had moved to. My wife and I moved to New Jersey after we got married. And so we bought a pair of four families in um, in uh, Ewing, New Jersey. And those were the seed of our, of our much larger real estate empire that we built over the years. That's awesome. Uh, those two four families. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's great. I love that. I, love, I mean, it's it's funny. Yeah, I, like you start to caveat by saying like, uh, don't do this at home. But I, so I actually take the other approach, which is, you know, what I love about that story is the like do whatever it takes approach. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the, sometimes the guy who's willing to loan you money might be your girlfriend's father. And I, I don't know. That's what it takes to get off the floor without having to put any money into a deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's not the classic way to do it because there's some potential issues if you get broken up or whatever, but I see, I, I love that. And I think that's what, that's what, you know, yeah. is worth celebrating here. Yeah. I mean, you could look at it either way. I mean, maybe it showed my commitment, you know, um, to him, but it also showed your ability to kind showed... of figure out a way, right? I mean, we, well, how many people done. do we talk to at meetups who say, I need to do my first deal. I got to, you know, in six, 12 months, I got to save some money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I got to figure out how to get started and right. stuff like and that. And you just said, I mean, I'm, I'm ready. And who, who well, do the, I? The biggest challenge that I think most real estate, new real estate investors have is getting started. And what they don't realize is like waiting to get started in real estate is like saying, okay, Chad, I'm going to drive, you and I are going to drive to California, but we're not going to leave my office until every stoplight between here and California turns green. You know, then we're going to leave. <laughs> you know, we're going to wait till that happens. Yeah. It just, just, you, sometimes you got to go and wait a light for a little bit, you know, yeah. and just got to go work around an obstacle and keep going. But I love that. The, the, the commitment to momentum is, is what allows for, is what allows for growth and just building a business and getting going because you're going to have problems. You're going to, you're going to have to figure a lot of things out and you can't wait for perfection because it will never come. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, here's my next thing is you've done a lot of interesting deals in your life. Yeah. What would you say is the most creative deal or hack that you've done oh, in boy. real estate? Mm. It doesn't have to be the biggest necessarily, but the most creative. It's creative. Okay. Um, hmm, man, the house hack was a pretty good one. Um, so the deal that we did, I've never done like a lot of the creative like subject to stuff. We've done a ton of buying property with the seller uh, loaning us money back. That's a pretty creative hack. Getting the, the person selling you the property to be the bank. And when you when you ask a property, when you ask a seller how much they want for their property, they'll say a number. Well, they, like the way to turn that around is so to the next question is say, well, how much do you need right now? Hmm. You know, to, to accomplish your goals. How much you need? Hmm. Like, okay, I'm, I'm asking a half million for my property, but I really need 50,000 bucks right now. Right. Yeah. You know, okay. Well, what if I could give you 50,000 bucks right now and then $2,000 a month and t for a couple of years until we pay it off? You know, whatever. Um, you don't have to, that. you know, but, uh, 
We also, like the, probably the most creative or interesting creativity that we brought to a deal was um, we bought a property around the corner from where I used to live in Bordentown. Um, and it's, long story short, it turns out the guy's name was spelled wrong in the public record and uh, like on the MLS. So we had this title agent that had been pushing us saying like, hey, give me some work, give me some work, I want to do a closing for you. And so I said, okay, listen, do some digging on this property. I give him the address. He pulls out the deed and the deed has it spelled correctly, right? But in public record on the MLS, it was spelled wrong. And if you Googled that name, you ran into a dead end. If you Googled the correct name, it was a very unique name. And I don't, just for the interest of, of uh, confidentiality, I won't say the name, but it was okay. very, very unique. Okay. Um, it wasn't Smith. No, 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 no. Like it, it wasn't like it wasn't like S M Y T H, but it's like right. right. Yeah, no, not Tim Smith. Okay, it's a very, very unique name and um, a name I had never heard before. Uh, lots of lo lots of lots of consonants, you know, everything like that, you know. Right. And so, but it was you know probably like rightfully so spelled wrong. And so I Googled it, and I did I did this website called Zaba Search, Z A B A Search, and they're still around. And you can just type in somebody's first and last name, and if that person's name and, and their phone number is anywhere in record, it'll come up. And so the the only, the only one person's name came up with that in in the records. And so I called the number that was associated with it, and the guy that answers the phone is he sounds like he's every minute of 70, 75 years old. And I was like, hey, I'm calling about this property in Bordentown, New Jersey, located at this address, and he goes. Yeah, that's my grandfather's house. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's my grandfather's house. And I was like, well, is your name, is your grandfather's name X? And the name that I saw on the deed was Isaac X, last name, right? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's my grandfather. Why are you calling? And I was like, well, okay, there's a property in Bordentown that has that person's, that Isaac's name on it. And it's in extreme disrepair. And apparently it's about to be foreclosed on. And you know, he didn't know what I was talking about. And then through unraveling things, here's what had happened, okay? Um, his father, Isaac, had died in 1964, okay, right? His son, Charles Sr., um, uh, lets a cousin- I love live how you still know their names, by the way. Oh, I know, I know the whole thing. Let's, <laughs> it's an amazing story. Let's the cousin live in the house, okay? okay? Charles Sr., just lets a cousin live there okay. and keep paying the real estate taxes, keep paying the expenses on the house, okay? okay? Cousin lives up in the house until 1982, okay? So when the cousin dies, the cousin's family starts living in the house. He's paying the real estate but taxes. Technically, the, the, the no Isaac that died in 1964. That's his it. home, right? Yeah. The son Charles Senior, okay, dies in 1994. Okay, doesn't tell his son Charles Junior, who I'm now talking to on the phone. Doesn't tell him that about any of these arrangements, okay? But by through digging and through um, him talking to other family members and looking back through records and stuff like that, he and I unravel this thing over a few phone calls, okay? But the the cousin's descendants that were living in the house live in the house till about 2005. But the problem was the house started to become in disrepair, like because they're living there for free. And when things are for free, you kind of treat it like it's free, okay? Right, right. So believe it or not, after like 40 years of them living, living in this home, that's how long it took for the house to really start falling apart. And they kept paying the real estate tax bill that was addressed to Isaac that died in 1964. They kept paying the, that tax bill, paying the water bill and everything like that. Till around 2005 or so, they walk out the door and move out, okay? The taxes go into foreclosure. The, right. the property's free and clear, okay? But the taxes go into foreclosure. Okay. And the tax lien holder had begun the foreclosure process on the property. And um, I was able to work it out with Charles 
to where he could buy, he could sell me the house. We had to go through probate courts and stuff like that. He had to prove ownership through his birth certificate. You pay off the taxes and then some. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The tax lien was like 50. No, oh God. It was like 50 some thousand dollars. It was years of taxes. Um, (laughs) But you gave a little bit more on top. Yeah. He made about $5,000 windfall out of nowhere. Uh, We get into the house. We find a bunch of old paintings of like, probably 100-year-old paintings of, of family members. I boxed all those up and mailed it to him. Oh, man. As like a thank you to this guy. And he made some money too. Um, that's awesome. like that. So that's yeah, awesome. that's a, I mean, call it a hack or whatever, but it was just the interesting stories that come up in these types of things. But also like this guy probably would have lost this, this house yeah. had he not, you know, had he and I not had that conversation. I love that. I love that. I, I love the uh, kind of fighting your way through it. I mean, you could have gotten that call and the guy says, I'm not Charles, I'm Jim. And you're like, right, crap. Right, right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or I could have, but more likely, I probably would not, have, would have only gotten but so far um, in doing the public record search. It's because the, the if title you go, guy helped you too there. Right. If you go do the MLS search um, uh, on the property, the public records in the MLS have the name spelled wrong. And so if that's as far as you're willing to go, you're not. You're going to run into a dead end. That's but awesome. Because we did the next step and, and ran title on the property and checked the deed. That's how we were able to find it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about something I think a lot of people don't talk enough about. Uh, so, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and being in real estate, I I often like to tell people how there are ups and downs and there's good and bad days and and oftentimes mm-hmm. on Facebook you share the good stuff. I feel like sometimes the low Facebook points... Facebook is just a big celebration of right, life. That's right, all it is. Right. It's just, but, but, my life is fantastic. Right. And I think when you're going through that <laughs> low point, you don't always appreciate that other people are going through tough times too and have had to fight through yeah, hurdles. So I, I my my question is, what is what to you the, the lowest point or the most yeah. frustrating thing you've gone through in real estate and how'd you fight through it? Uh, to, to yeah, work their problem. we've had a few. I mean, you know, one of my major stories, which is how we sold a property and um, with a group of investors and had uh, like a significant the capital S amount of money stolen from us um, by a third party custodian that was supposed to be doing a 1031 exchange. So we don't need to go into all the details, but just the, the super high level here, you're doing a syndication. Yeah. And you've got other investors money at play here. Yep. And, and I sold one property trying to trying to sell it sell it and trade up into another property and a lot and all the money got stolen. So that was probably one of my low points. That wasn't that long ago. Uh, that was one of my low points. Um, just just in general, Chad, when I trusted people, and there's a lot of money that flies around in the world of real estate. So when I trusted people with my money or with my whatever, and they squandered that trust and stole the money or just just you know broke the trust somehow or another, mostly by stealing the money and not doing what they're supposed to be doing with it, um, in, in instances like that, um, that that's where that's a low point because there's you know there's a significant amount of money that gets thrown around and when that money gets stolen or, or squandered, um, that is a low point. Yeah. yeah. So how how'd you you know I mean I, some of these stories make me sick to my stomach. Like I you know little just like that one right. So money stolen, hard to say it's your fault. I mean I guess you could have done a little background check, but mm-hmm. yeah you, you no, even did. had yeah you, so you did, did some background check. Someone referred him in. Um, you know, you, you lose significant, significant amount of money and it's other potential investors money. Yep. Uh, how did you go from that to being able to wake up the next day and still move forward hmm. as opposed to say, 
it might be time to go get a job, hmm. <laughs> right? I've had those thoughts. I mean, I've had low points where I was like, geez, man, is this really worth it? Right. But I mean, like, I, there's people that are counting on me. You know, I've created an environment where I am a custodian for other people of, of their money. And um, maybe I'm just not a quitter by, by design, I guess. Um, and so I, I think that um, there's like a life mantra that I have that success is just, it is just like simply just not quitting and just not getting discouraged. And failure is simply having something bad happen and then choosing to quit. That's failure, yeah. right? Um, so you can also just as easily have something bad happen and choose to work it out um, and choose to figure it out. And maybe you can be sorry for yourself for a little bit, you know, for like, maybe you're good for five, 10 minutes, but that's it, you know? Um, then you gotta figure it out and move forward. Yeah. Um, and so I've had plenty of bad things happen that I felt sorry for myself about, but I'm just, I just have always chosen to move forward and put one in front of the other and onward and upward. and. Um, it's always worked out in the long run for me. Maybe not immediately, but but by not quitting and by just persevering and continuing to try and try again and get out of bed the next morning um, and stuff like that. I, uh, yeah. I I've I've found that things tend to work their way out. Even that that awful issue with that knucklehead that stole our money. Like we're already talking. Mean, it's been a year, but we're already talking about settlement now. So, I mean, I think that we'll be able to replenish, if not all of, most of our investors' capital. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. Tim, I think one thing I've learned from you a lot over the years is you definitely have a very um, creative mind. Mm. And I think that maybe helps you work through some of these challenges is uh, you see the challenge and then you say, all right, let's 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 figure out a way through that, mm -hmm. uh, which is not always the most straight line path, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's 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 rarely the straight line path. The, the solutions never and in a lot of it, like turmoil like that, the solutions rarely obvious. You know, it, it's one of those instances where you got to get super creative and think outside the box for the solution. And I think that being able to think outside the box and think outside like the regular like of of the regular, you know, logical delivered answers. So there's always something outside of that. I always live by the the mantra that there's always at least three answers. And so if you're looking at something where it's like, should I go left or right? You know, there's always a third option. Yeah. I think that a lot of the, um, you know, decisions that I've had to make um, when I feel stuck, it's always like, well, geez, I feel like I should just go left or right. And then I'm like, okay, what's the other thing I could do? What's the right. third thing? Right. You know, I love that. there's gotta be a third thing. Yeah. And so I, the, a lot of times the magic is in that third option, Yeah. you know, um, when I'm trying to make a choice so, yeah. and, and like, that's where I've made that third choice and it's made, made all the difference for us. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, you've done a lot, but you've, you've, both self-managed properties yep. in your own neighborhood, as well as use a third-party management company out of state, um, yep. including our own. Yep. Uh, and so what I want to ask you is, I guess, two things. One, what what do you prefer? But, but just as much, what did you learn? Because you started off self-managing, mm -hmm. and then you moved to kind of a, a third-party management out of state. Um, how did that kind of change your investing overall by making that switch. I mean, I managed myself, like literally me. I was <laughs> right. doing the showings and I was taking the phone calls and like my toilet's clogged. Okay, <laughs> let me send somebody. I was doing all right. that. It wasn't man, a team. You know? It was the Matt Faircloth show. No, it was the Matt Faircloth. They had my cell phone number. Every tenant. There was, a, was one point where something like 50 some tenants all had my cell phone number, right? Mm -hmm. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, you know, yeah, like, bless, you know, like that, that it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, you know, cause, um, there's, there's gotta be boundaries, right? Like, so I, um, 
I did all of it. And then I built a team around it and we started to scale up a property management company and eventually ended up looking at it and saying, you know, let's not do that. Let's not scale up a management company. Let's let's just get into um, really doing what we're great at. What we, be, what we became great at was like managing systems and processes and bringing in investors and everything like that. Like that's, that's what became our greatness was explaining real estate in a super simple fashion to where investors could, you know, make heads or tails out of it and everything like that. Right. So I decided to focus on that and then take what I wasn't great at and give it off to a third party. And I ended up giving a lot of it off to third party management and let a lot of the team go that was helping me run the asset, but let them go too, Yeah, you know, so I could focus on what was great at, what I was great at. Um, so, uh, I mean, but, but talk me through that. Like, so when you made that change, what, I don't know what what did you learn about or what changed in your real estate investing did you get to look at things in a different light i mean i know now you're all you're investing in more states than you ever did before mm -hmm. i imagine that kind of freed you up to be more creative in terms of thinking about looking at deals that you never thought of before i learned the value of time in that process i really did i mean like time is and some I've read in books and I've heard other folks say the time is a one limited resource. Yeah, you know, like there there is enough money and deals and opportunities and um, partners and inspirations and everything like that in the world. But one thing there's only but so much of is time. And in me handing off management to somebody else, it allowed me to free up my time to focus on expansion of my company. Um, which I felt like as the executive, the owner of the company, that's my job is to expand my company. That's what I'm supposed to do. Is, is to defend my company and expand it, you know? Um, and so uh, taking me out of a lot of the day-to-day -day operations is, is has made all the difference because it enables me to really focus on growth, you know? Um, and I'm not quite done yet. There's a lot more of the day-to-day -day stuff I need to take myself out of even further. I need to, I'd need i like to get even further out of it to where I can really just 100% focus on growth. I'm like 50% focused on growth. Was there right some, uh, I mean, I know, in, so here in Trenton, we yep. actually took over some of your mm -hmm. uh, yep. properties. Yep. I remember going through that process with you and I remember at wondering myself if, if I was going through that, would I have some apprehension uh, I've kind of built these properties and am I, am I willing to let someone else come in and manage it? Did you have sure. some apprehension along the way? Yeah, man. There's, there's a lot of, you can't do it as well as I do. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it'll never get run as well as I can run it and all that going on. And I've talked to a few friends of mine that, that manage significant portfolios that they own themselves. And they're, they're like, oh, I'll never hand it off to third party and because they just can't do it like I do and all that. And what they don't get is that it, by handing it off, it enables you to actually really focus. And also, not to be straight, just need you to live life a little bit too. And maybe I make yeah. like that much less in money. But in exchange for that little bit less that I was making in the management fee that I was keeping for myself, in that shift, it enables me to A, put some time into finding deals. But I also, like I work from home half my time now. Which was never, if I was running a full management team, if I didn't come into the office by like 9.30, my team was calling me wanting to know if I was okay, yeah. you know? But now I, there's, I, I'm able to be way more nimble and live my life when I want to, but also focus on growth when I want yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, well. I love that. The, the, there being a trade-off of not just, it's interesting, I mean, you talk, the first thing you talked about was the business growing, your time freeing up to grow it. But the other part is just, it seems like you, your, your life is happier yeah. a, a year later. Yeah, so. it frees me up to live too. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Uh, I want to switch. Uh, so the podcast is called Real Estate Hackers. I'm really into technology, as you know. Uh, you know, I come at this from a company. like that hacker name. Yeah. Right. I have an engineering background. I picture uh, like this computer hacker. It's like, that's right. You know, right. That's right, what we're right. going for. 
It is. It sounds like it. So yeah. my question That's for a very you chatty is: name. Very good. Uh, over the next five years, wh- how do you think technology is going to change what you do in real estate more than anything else? Hmm. I think property management is going to drive like the the changes in property management, the interaction of tenants with property managers is going to you know, become more techy. And I think you guys are actually a driving force of, of a lot of that, not just in my business, but just in the, in the industry. Um, and I think that um, uh, the, the ability to vet and become aware of deals through technology is going to become more and more. Um, and um, hmm. I think for the, the for the, inv- I'll, I'll tell you a major tech shift, like a major like disruptor that's going to happen is as, the SEC and and um, and the IRS start to allow real estate investments to become something that anyone can invest in because currently there's accreditation laws and things like that. But I think that that bubble is going to that it's just shifting more and more. Um, do you know that um, there's currently four trillion dollars right now invested in IRAs in the country? Not I not four hundred one ks, but IRAs. Okay, so. Of that $4 trillion, okay, 3% of that, so $120 billion, it's still a lot of money, but $120 billion is invested in anything, anything else outside of Wall Street. Wow. Right? So there's you know, a rounding error of $4 trillion invested in Wall Street of IRA money. I think what technology is going to do is it's going to open up the possibility for folks to invest in things outside of Wall Street from their cell phone. Like, What if you could put $1,000 into an apartment building project on your phone? If you just see it out there. No, As Crowd opposed Street. to investing in Bank of America stock, right, basically. Right, and into the roulette wheel of Wall Street. Right, you know? right. Okay, so the, uh, but right now, that's that's all you're able to do is to invest in, is to put it on in, in the casino uh, up uh, up in New York, right? Yeah. But, um, but if, uh, what if you could get involved in other stuff? Now, folks like Crowd Street and Realty Mogul and, and the crowd funders have tried to do that. Their hands are mega tied for what they're allowed to put out there. Yep. And there's a huge barrier to entry. Um, but I think that give it a couple of, I mean, like, it's like, oh, geez, that's 15, 20 years out. Just time compression on what's possible in, in the, in the world that we live in right. is so fast that I think that you give it like a couple of years and somebody will be able to invest in a 15 and in, in like a, like a little rental, you know, in, in, in yeah, like I mean, a, I think about the stuff you phone. do, right. You raise a lot of money. Um, yep. we raise a syndication at Slate House as well. And uh, when, when we did it, we we it, we met face to face with twenty five different investors, and it was exhausting. Uh, you do it every day. You raise mm-hmm. a lot of these syndications, mm-hmm. and uh, there if if that could be changed to where anyone in the country, mm-hmm. you know, all all legally, but could have access to that through an IRA uh, because they watch your podcast and have been following you for five years. Yeah. And through a click of a button, could invest in your next deal in Lancaster County. Mm-hmm. That's uh, so they can they can invest with their IRA in it right now. But the problem that the, I mean, maybe technology can help us with awareness of that, right? Well, that's what I was thinking. They're right? aware. They they're just not aware. Most people that I talk to about investing with their retirement account in real estate will tell me things like, "Well, my financial planner told me that was illegal." Right? Financial planners right now are going around and telling people it's illegal to invest in anything outside of Wall Street with their money. Which right? is, and that's in part yeah. because there's a, a conflict of interest. Is that, yeah. is that fair, you think? It's because it's a conflict of interest, but also it's because the, the financial planner also doesn't know. Doesn't know. Right? Because they don't know. They, they think it's illegal. And maybe, and they're, I'd like to think that they're also, they're not all, 
you know, like snakes or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there is a lack of information out there on what's possible to invest in. And that extends all the way to financial planners. And unfortunately, because their firm doesn't offer self-directed IRAs, they tell people, no, no, you can't do that. You know, yeah. and you're right, partially right. You can't do it with their company, but yeah. you can do it. Um, but even even if it's with cash or with other forms of investments or whatever, my goal in like call it my life goal is to help people reach wealth more easily through what I do. That's awesome. You know? So so is there a day when you're on Amazon.com? I can go to Amazon.com and I could buy some some equity into Matt Faircloth's latest project? Is that what it looks it's like? It's not going to be Amazon, I don't think. I don't think, I, I mean, Amazon I've heard has flirted with getting involved in the real estate business, but I think it'll likely be like more like Zillow or I think that, that even more likely, I think what will happen is like financial planners will be allowed to sell more micro stuff like this. And the regu the regulations will allow me to start offering things like this at a smaller, smaller dollars per share. All investors will be allowed to get into it. I mean, there is a lot of regulatory things that have to happen before I can start selling shares at like 50 bucks, 100 bucks of apartment buildings. Um, I'd like to be able to get there. Um, but uh, right now the regs don't let you do it. So I think that with a few changes in government regulations, we'll be allowed to offer things at a smaller price to everyone. It's awesome. Yeah. Then once that happens, then maybe Amazon, maybe not, but maybe Charles Schwab, maybe E-Trade, maybe Zillow. Let's talk about that. Maybe Zillow decides to get in the investment sales space. You know, they've already got um, a lot of data. They have uh, a lot of data. Sense. Yeah, they could just turn it around. You know, you just need a middleman to get involved and buy the property itself. Right. So. Last thing I want so to talk that, about we got here. That figured out. Yeah. You know? Last oh. thing I want to talk about yeah. here is so we are coming. Or we're, we're taping this today from the Hive in Trenton. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us what you've owned this building for 10 years. 10 years. Uh, and I think it's a good example of a hack in real estate uh, that has kind of evolved over time. What what'd you do here? Um, well, we kind of turned uh, a bucket full of lemons into lemonade, honestly. Like it was, I, I wish... Yeah. I, a lot of times in life, Chad, I, like remember that whole left, right, or should I do something different kind of thing? Or like, yeah. what should I do when life deals me a, a bad a bad hand? Um, like this building is an example of um, that, you know, we got into something, didn't work out to be what we thought it was going to be, and we ended up having to make it work even, even so, right? So um, this building was something that we bought during, before the downturn that we thought was going to be a great asset to buy and just and just like lease to one party. Because back in 2000, actually we went to 12 years now, back in the 2007, 2008 timeframe when we bought it, um, we bought it for um, 100, no, $50 a square foot, which in office space world is super, super, super cheap, yeah. right? So we bought it for 50 bucks a I mean, foot. No, normally it rents for in the, Ten to twelve dollar range. Is that back like then it was rented. Back then, office. This was when the economy was booming and and the state of New Jersey was expanding heavily and stuff like that. They were under a way different administration. They were leasing. The state of New Jersey was leasing up office space as well as the county was leasing up leasing up office space at eighteen dollars a foot. Okay, so. If we were able to, my math was, if I'm able to lease that building for eighteen bucks a foot, I can get a third of my money back every year. That's awesome. That's like you like buying yeah. a pro buying a property for a hundred grand and getting back 30, thirty grand in rent every month every year. That's awesome. With like a triple like net the, lease where they're paying everything else. Yeah, and man. You know, like you're like at the door, right? I'm, I'm there. Know? I'm a millionaire. Yeah, boom. Right. So um, 
we uh we, we ended up buying it and closing and then short term short term while we were looking for a law a big office tenant to come and take the space um we let a local not-for-profit open up a high school here in the property okay they opened up a short-term votech high school they rented the building from us while they were building their long-term high school okay during their tenancy here the market crashed Okay. Um, and we had, they ended up moving out and saying, bye, like 2000, late 2008, 2009. Right. Um, and so we just, nobody was like, new administration was in, nobody was looking for office space. Like people were like hiding under their bed and, and, you know, building a bomb shelter, you know, cause they thought the end of the world was coming. Right. Yeah. So nobody was looking for 10,000 square foot of office anymore. So we ended up, um, realizing that we needed something that was low budget that served, the entrepreneur and serve small business owners because a lot, I mean, just so many people got laid off too. Like I got a tenant that's in, sitting in the office right next door to us that was a lawyer for Stark and Stark and got laid off when, um, right when that happened, when the crash happened. So he splintered off and started his own business, was working out of his, working out of his basement, saw that we were opening up an office building. So he came here and opened up his law firm here in this building. And he was, he was my very first tenant. He's sitting right next to us right now, you know, in, in that room next door. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And so we just started leasing out small little offices and we just scrapped it up and, and made it work. And it was like, we had, we filled it up full of 18 different tenants over a couple of years of all kinds of different businesses. So that's how we did it. But we started offering up different services. Um, we all, we offered, um, like business consulting services. We had a receptionist on and off on the front desk. Um, we were really able to make it fly until we got involved with you guys, honestly. Like we kind of piecemealed it together until Slatehouse got in and wanted to like really make it a unified vision um, and, and brought in the hive concept. That's when the building really started. Yeah, to so for off. anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, it, it I mean, it was, it's the kind of the exterior is essentially office space. The center of the building is really open. Uh, it's open wide and, and was before just kind of people not really being used, I guess. Is that yeah. fair? I mean, you, you, I guess you held events there once in a while, but not really being used. And that, that to us was the kind of the exciting part of the space. And so now we've opened it up and now allow people to not just rent office space, but we now have a podcast and multimedia studio here. Mm -hmm. We have a real estate meetups at night. We have people who for $150 can be a member and instead of working out of Starbucks can actually come here and work. Yeah. We got conference rooms. We got a ping pong table. We got a beer keg. I just saw there was some nonprofit that wants to do some event with students here this summer mm -hmm. uh, on, on kind of uh, getting them ready for the real world. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, to me, that's, it's a, just a great example of, you know, when you, when you bought this, that wasn't the plan necessarily, right? No, 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 no. It just kind of evolved that way um, and everything like that. But it's just one of those things that, um, you know, to just, you know, you never know what you're going to get into until you get into it, you know? And so I, I'm grateful that we have it now because it's been a great way to advance our brand. And I'm grateful you guys are involved in it because you guys have been a great partner in helping us, you know, bring the, bring the building about to its, to its further vision. And I think that as, I mean, even though we're not in the middle of a downturn anymore, even though we're in a fairly up economy, um, there's still a need for entrepreneurship and community and space for people to get into and everything like that. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Like I, I look at something like this and a lot of stories you told, it's like, uh, I mean, I see a lot of investors who will spend time and time and time on working on a pro forma and every little whittling down of a number. And I mean, how could you ever, when you bought this building, know that, you know, everyone's going to leave. There's going to be an economic downturn. You're then going to end up having to rent these things out as individual spots. And then you're going to, there's going to be this concept of co-working, which didn't even exist back then. Yep. And you're going to then rent out for $150 memberships 
into the space. You know, so much real estate is not, I mean, yes, know the numbers, study it up front, but a big part of it is putting the pedal to the metal and just working through stuff. Yeah, that's that's really what it is, is like working through stuff and put and, and just, you know, pushing through, um, you know, changes and twists and turns. And people like will underwrite apartment building deals, or single, family, single family homes or any, any piece of real estate or whatever. And they'll underwrite it super granular and be like, well, how can I get the PSC and G bill down by $10 or whatever? But you can do all that. But the thing is, is that I've rarely had a piece of property perform exactly on business plan because just things come up, man. Like, and we have a property out in Kentucky and we're, we've, I've owned it for two months and I'm already changing up the game plan, you know, because, and it's not because anything's wrong. We're just seeing further opportunities to monetize it that we didn't think of. Right. You know, right. Like we're just seeing more and more things start to like, oh, hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? <clears throat> I, I agree. Uh, I think the kind of working through problems as they come up. Definitely key to what you do, and, and you do a great job of it. That's awesome. And I think a lot of times new investors, uh, it, it's good to see those examples of when you have to kind of work through stuff to know that, you know, things aren't always going to, nothing's going to play out like the pro forma does. <coughs> uh, one thing I always tell investors, a little secret we always have is, I don't even look at what the tenants are always paying in rent before because I don't care, right? I mean, the, once I own the asset, I assume a lot of those tenants are going to be leaving and they might have to get evicted or whatever. I look more at like what what is the thing going to rent for? What it's a know. good assumption to make, man. Almost every time I bought a property, um, units uh, like units vacate. I don't know if it's like oh hey new sheriff in town or whatever, but we have something in real estate we call skips where tenants just like you go in the unit and they're just not there anymore. They just went, they just left, they just went <laughs> by. Like what you and I partnered on a project uh, that you manage, but you're also a partner in it that we bought out in uh, Lancaster and we closed and it was a 49 unit, 49 unit building. We lost 20% of the tenant base like that. In seconds, you know? right. Yeah, right after you guys took over. And it was just, I think it was like distrust of management or, you know. Well, you, so uh, the other part is just, I, I always say this, if the asset is, is if everyone's paying rent and everything's perfect, that the, the owner's probably not selling. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, there's a reason why an owner's selling. That. Like, great properties aren't for sale. Right. Like, like, you know, you, you got to make selling. you got to make a great deal. Like, if a deal's for sale, it's because the guy's tired and because he's kind of jacked it up a little bit. <laughs> right. And it's, or because the tenants aren't paying rent and he's just given up and said, yeah, look, I'm like, done for this, man. He's, you got to just fix it. Yeah. 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 So, so need some great. new blood. Yeah. Well, cool, Matt. Look, man, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for being an awesome client. Thanks You're for being welcome. a great partner here. Uh, launching uh, the podcast here, Real yep. Estate Hackers. Uh, super pumped about what we're going to do. The plan here, just so everybody knows, basically once a week, we're going to be interviewing some real estate hacker that we know out there uh, and just hearing their stories and how they got to where they are, hopefully motivate all of you uh, to do more interesting stuff and to just push through some of those tough moments mm -hmm. that I think, uh, frankly, are just not, not talked about enough. Uh, we talk about the good stuff, but not always when... Uh, Technic downturn happens and, and you have an, a huge crash and the, the whole apartment vacates, right? Right, so, right, 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 yeah. Cool. Uh, that actually makes a more interesting story, actually. If I see one more person talk about how just life is great on Facebook, I'm like, you, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and it is great. And life is wonderful. But, like, there's also turmoil and the ways to get through it and everything like that and keeping your chin up and keeping pumping and everything. And that's actually more inspiring to me is stories of people, how people work their way through stuff and still won. You know, that's it. versus like people looking like they're just 
you know, like sitting back and watching life, you know, deliver right. millions of bucks to him. Yeah, I don't think like we're that. gonna have Donald yeah. Trump on this podcast anytime soon. No, uh, no. The, the he might like the gold microphones, though. Oh yeah, these are yeah. sweet, aren't they? Yeah, this, they're this very, they're very Trumpy. Is legit, they're very by the Trump way. microphones. What's that? This is a legit room to host a podcast. This is legit with a capital L, brother. Yeah, yeah um, I like it. Cool. Thank well, you for great. having me, man. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So that's our episode of Real Estate Hackers. Thanks for joining us in your real estate investing journey. We come out with fresh new episodes weekly. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you would, let your fellow investors know about us. Also, if you've ever hacked or found a unique solution to an issue in the real estate space, hit me up. We may even share your real estate hack on a future episode. Check out our site at realestatehackers.com, on Instagram, at realestatehackers, or email me directly at chad at realestatehackers.com. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Huge thanks and shout out to Eric and the team at On Air Brands. Be sure to check them out at onairbrands.com. This is Chad Gallagher, your host of Real Estate Hackers. Hope to see you at our next meetup or live event. And who knows, you may even be the next guest hacker on our show. See you soon.